This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, the Aston Villa podcast that covers a rather strange period in Aston Villa's history. A time where they're actually they're playing games while being mathematically safe from relegation, which is a novelty. I'm David Michael, the editor of My Old Man Said and your host joining me to discuss this weird time in Villa history, Mr. Chris Bird. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Unbelievably great. Wow. Refreshing. <laughs> Refreshed. Refreshing, but not as fresh as Mr. Phil Shaw. Welcome. Hello. How fresh are you? <laughs> On a scale of one to Is ten. Is that fresh with an F or fresh with a PH? <laughs> oh. I don't know. Whichever one involves showering. What, showering myself and the tea that I spilled over myself and was preparing? <laughs> Well done. He gets excited when he prepares for these podcasts. <laughs> uh, have we got any small talk? We can discuss how bad the Winter Soldier last episode was, if you want, or we could save that for uh, My Old Mandalorian yeah. Sad. Save it. Coming up in the show, uh, quite a uh, sprinkling of Villa news and Villa-related news. In the three points, we look at uh, who we're going to be playing next season in the Premier League. There's some... Uh, actually, they're familiar faces, are they not? Also, when is 90 minutes not 90 minutes? And uh, Bayern Munich's uh, unique approach to compensation. Before we get into uh, the Baggies game and an un- underrated and overrated that deals with Pep Guardiola's invisible captain. Who could that be? Ooh. Right. Ooh. <laughs> 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 I, lo- I love your little animal, uh, animal sounds, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> what animal is it? <laughs> I don't know. It's an owl. Uh, <laughs> right. Anyway, sorry. I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to trigger him. <laughs> I'm untriggerable. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's get into the villain news. Uh, top headline must be the uh, the accounts. There's, I mean, there's one thing we knew that uh, Wes and Nazef have put in uh, a lot of share equity, so that's going to like dampen the uh, the minus figure. 
but obviously we're going to, you know, we're going to be down on revenue as everybody else is. So there's context to discuss quickly. But uh, what, what's the the headliners for you? Well, the, I suppose the main sort of standout is a 99.2 million loss. Uh, of which 2.7 of that was refunded to season ticket holders, 9.9 million rebates in broadcast money. And I suppose the big one for me is we've spent 109.4 million on on the two transfer windows in that financial period only recouping 7.4 million back. That spend is also going to increase uh, this season because we were one of the big spenders uh, and you know we broke our record again did we not? Yeah. And of course and of course the wage bill will have increased. Yeah. So I think uh, next season's uh, results uh, will be more interesting because you get the the full pandemic effect and also Villa's the next stage of actually their rebuilding, which was uh, bringing in, let's say, uh, pound for pound more expensive players in terms of transfer fee and wages. I think uh, I think Persler will be pleased with the average attendance. You know, I think that's gone from sort of thirty six thousand right up to forty one. So we've basically been at capacity yeah. for every league game, which has been that, that's a real positive. For the, from the club's point of view, it's the eighth highest, which shows we're, we're slipping a little bit behind uh, because we were a lot higher in terms of that. And it, I mean, it's, that's another marker. Let's say next season, and, and well, the next couple of seasons, where we should be aiming. Uh, one of the markers is you know how big's your stadium, and it's the eighth, so we should be going top eight yeah. ultimately uh, in the short term. Yeah, and then you just to put that in the sort of context, you you look at the the income from that, and you look at Spurs. I mean. Uh, Villa's Villa's gate receipts uh, of eleven point one million. They actually fell a bit because, of course, in during project restart there was no fans allowed in. Um, they're only twelve percent of what Spurs's are. I mean, Spurs are getting ninety five million from that new stadium, or they were getting it before COVID hit. So it just does that include match day revenue as well? Yeah, that includes match day revenue as well. Because Spurs is 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 huge because they've they've got it in terms of facilities. I mean, like went there for the first game of the season uh, of this uh, financial year that these results uh, cover and uh, you know people hanging around for t- it's like being in a club in the end I was in it's like absolutely ram packed and people want to stay and uh, you don't get that at Villa where you're in and out aren't you and and Spurs can serve people fast enough to get through it to earn the money yeah, you've got the, the yeah. longest bar in Europe you've got loads of food offerings you keep the fans there and of course to have the NFL contract that was probably needed to help pay it back that's one of their big revenues so, so they'll feel it. They'll feel it worse. So, in terms of uh, comparison with other teams, the the no fans uh, scenario is uh, not so bad uh, comparatively. I mean, pretty much all in the same boat. So. Yeah, and our debt is actually relatively small compared to some of the other bigger sides. Yeah, but as I said, the actual results from uh, the financial results from this season will be more interesting because obviously there's, there's been no fans uh, at the game. Uh, Christian Perslow's Wage apparently, I mean, there's a figure of 1.5 million, which is uh, half of what uh, Ed Woodward and uh, Daniel Levy, uh, who both trousered around uh, the three million mark. And Woodward's going to be out of a job soon anyway. Yeah, I think Perslow's is he's got some uh, little dividend ownership uh, kind of deal. Yeah, he gets a back, he gets a back end, doesn't he? Yeah. So he's like a, almost a part owner as well. Yeah, so uh, I don't know where that pops up in the, uh, the 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 scheme of things. With Villa having so basically almost being debt free, I mean they don't have the the burden that other teams have in debt and paying interest back. So while Villa don't pay any interest back because they've no debt, I mean you look at uh, Man United, their debt they're they're already twenty million behind before the start. Spurs fourteen, Arsenal eleven. So 
there's a there's a bit of an advantage for Villa going forward. Yeah, I mean, as I said at the start, they, they have you know sunk in their own money. I mean, uh, Villa own a financing of uh, three hundred thirty seven million in the last five years is the second largest uh, of the Premier League clubs, only behind Everton. I think that includes the time we're in the Championship as well. So uh, yeah, the full picture we have to wait until next season. But we, we are in a position, though, where, where we are spending a lot on players because the owners obviously want to get us up to speed and the objective is to uh, compete at the top end of the table. Anyway, moving on, uh, other Villa news. Uh, well, hopefully this relates to uh, Villa. Uh, the squad sizes of the uh, the Euros, what's it called now? Euro 20? Euro 21? It's Euro 2020, isn't it? Yeah. It's been referred to as. Yeah, people still people- call it 2020. The squad sizes have gone up to uh, 26. That's really to factor in uh, the concise uh, season and kind of drain on the players to fit in uh, the season before uh, the Euros. And also, if there is any kind of COVID issues during the tournament, they'll they'll have bigger squads to hopefully uh, cover if the odd player has to be uh, isolated uh, or whatever. I mean, I think the increase to 26, definitely if Grealish uh, gets fit in time, improves his chances and gives Watkins an outside chance as well. Uh, But I think he needs to uh, do some talking on the pitch in terms of uh, convincing Southgate to get the nod above, you know, certain other strikers that are in the hunt. Yeah. Aston Villa will take part in a social media blackout from Friday, is it not? So yeah, it's the whole game weekend, isn't it? So I think it covers Friday through to Monday, I believe. Still, you know, my book, all social media does is just hold a mirror up to the world and you realise it's uh, what's looking back at the mirror is is pretty ugly. And, you know, you can give people, you can create beautiful things for people, they're always going to fuck it up. So, I mean, I think they're just asking for really for regulation, aren't they? I mean, this I'm, I'm kind of torn about this just because I like the idea of this, you know, the net neutrality thing of just anybody be able to use the internet and it not being uh, regulated. But as we say, you know, it's holding up a mirror and, and when... Uh, you know what's using it then you know probably has to you should be like one account per person and there should be some uh, proof of id just to make people responsible for their actions i'd agree with that yeah we mentioned in the last show that it was judgment week for the villa women's team and uh, i think i said that they needed really four points from games against the two teams above them west ham and bristol city decent enough draw at west ham nil nil and then bristol city it was all lined up for a the great not the great escape but an escape from that bottom relegation position 2-0 up at half time and uh well they did a villa didn't they yeah villa, <laughs> villa dna and that's its finest form they drew 2-2 in the end uh conceding 95th minute equalizer wasn't it? it was an awful goal as well uh they play the blues uh which again yeah, that's that's in the remit of potential getting something from it but Blues haven't. Blues are on an even worse run of form than Villa. Yeah, but it, we are really in touch and go territory now, so it'll go down to the wire, I think, uh, in that respect. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, the youth team uh, having no such problems uh, as they uh, literally blazed through the youth cup, the youth cup's quarter final, demolishing Newcastle six one. Not quite. What was the score against Burton? Was it nine nil? Won it in the yeah. Burton game, yeah, and it should have been double figures. But, uh, I mean, Villa have focused at this age group. uh, I mean, I joked on Facebook, I don't think really it's a joke, this under-18s team could probably beat our under-23s team uh, 
<laughs> even though a lot of the under 18s do obviously play in that team as well i watched uh, the majority of the game and you know there's, there's certain moments where you, <laughs> you villa midfielder gets the ball a newcastle player comes out and literally the you know the villa midfields just part put a palm against his head and just yeah. holds him off it's like men versus boys type stuff yeah weka was so much more physically developed and you think he's not he's not fully developed yet but newcastle were just tiny i mean villa just as you said they just walked through them so easy. Yeah, even the uh, watch it on the new uh, Newcastle YouTube channel, and they were saying, you know, Villa just seemed bigger. And when you're physically more developed and you've got better players, it's going to be a very long night for them. And it was. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see what's uh, what else is uh, the baggies are still there, and baggies. I think Liverpool are still in it, aren't they? Sheffield United traditionally have quite a good youth yeah. setup. So it'd be interesting. I mean, if we just walk, I'm, I'm expecting some resistance on the way because we're just waltzing through this tournament. I mean, I think as well, if it'd be nice to get to the final. I'm not sure if it's still over two legs, but it might be one of those ones where if, if people can't get to the Chelsea game, depending on the dates and stuff, it might be that actually you can get 10,000 through the door for the Youth Cup yeah. final. But Villa winning easy. There's something There's something not right. Oh, novelty. There's something not right about this. I'm playing great there's football. There's something not right about this. I'm very suspicious. So we'll see how uh, this develops. <laughs> yeah, book market hmm. for a few years' time. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, meanwhile... Uh, Next week begins the uh, the trial of uh, the police officers involved in uh, Daly and Atkinson's passing. Uh, both have denied uh, murder and manslaughter of Daly and Atkinson. There's two PCs up uh, for trial. They both pleaded not guilty at Birmingham Crown Court on Monday, and uh, the trial will begin uh, in earnest next week. Uh, finally, uh, BT Sport are producing a documentary on Villa's League and European Cup winning years, which is uh, 1980-82, which is due in uh, 2022 to obviously tie into the uh, 40th anniversary of lifting the European Cup. So uh, watch out for that one. It's our best team. I, it never gets celebrated enough. I mean, I, I it was like you know a, a team when I was a kid, so I was kind of lucky in that respect to uh, have have the context of uh, witnessing Villa at the most brilliant. I feel sorry for kids of uh, the last few generations who get to <laughs> uh, witness pretty much the exact opposite. Right, let's get on to the three points. Number one. Welcome back, Norwich City and Watford, who are promoted straight back to the Premier League. So uh, we extend congratulations to them, uh, especially to Watford. For Thank you again for self-destructing last season. <laughs> <laughs> Without your valiant attempts, we would never have stayed in that division. Without you sacking Pearson, you know, the man that would probably have got you to stay up uh, to be honest it was a bit like uh, Spurs getting rid of Mourinho in, in the week they've got a cup final uh, the only chance they had in that cup final was to have Mourinho there probably mm. yeah but it was good to see that the, the graphic that the, the broadcaster put up the head the head record of Ryan Mason versus Pep Guardiola as if there was any <laughs> point in that <laughs> uh, one thing uh that maybe has not been mentioned, but of course, with those two teams popping straight back up, that means that the Premier League actually saves eighty-three million in parachute payments, which is money shared between the Premier League clubs. So again, we're profiting from Watford. What what a team Watford are we? Love boom. We love Watford. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, a couple of incidents of uh, this was like the best and the worst of referees, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. Sevilla versus Granada. The referee for the Sevilla and Granada game blew full-time one minute early. 
Then, after the players had left the pitch, called the players back from the dressing room, realising uh, he's made a bit of a faux pas, and then completed the minutes. But actually, there was, was four minutes were added to the, to the La Liga clash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they played a, a, a bit a bit of a bonus period, but that would have been weird with fans in the, the stadium where you've all buggered off. And then, uh, <laughs> I mean... They're, they're, or everyone's <laughs> having a meltdown as they walk <laughs> off the pitch. There'd have been anarchy, surely. Yeah, although it, it is good to know that referees in some leagues can admit that they made a mistake, even in the same day. Yeah, what a novelty that is. Yeah, I went, uh, how, how long was it? Just, do you know how long it was they were in the dressing room for? Yeah, well, the, well, a couple of the guys had to get changed yeah. again. Did they? They? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in, I'm sure there's probably one of them who's already got in the shower. They're in the car park after being changed, after a shower, <laughs> lo- loading up their kit into the back of the boot or, or whatever, they, uh, their wash bag or whatever they, uh, they take away with them. And then they're called back. I wonder if they get overtime. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, another example of... Uh, but this is, the, as Chris said, probably the good version. Although that was kind of fairly cool to get them back on the pitch, especially after a few players had uh, changed. Meanwhile, at Leicester versus Palace, the game was actually paused, I think it was the 34th minute, to allow the two Muslim players that were actually playing in the game to break their fast once the sun had set. So what did they, what did they, how did they break their fast? They gave them energy, energy gels. Is that, that's not it tradition was, though, is it? <laughs> well, no. um, it was agreed like, pre-match. They only had to have a captain's meeting before the game with the referee, the Premier League officials and the two captains. And it was sort of you know, thrashed out in the, in the pre-game meeting that they would do that. I think Crystal Palace had a, had a goal kick, which wasn't taken, which they were later thanked for. So it was just a, it was not a rare moment of sort of sporting, you know, the moral compass being pointed in the right direction um, and quite a classy thing to do. Yeah, I think I'd have, uh, if I was involved in those negotiations, I'd have asked for something like something a bit more ag- organic than uh, energy uh, gels to break my fast. Like a, like a sit-down like sit dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I know about this referee. Uh, I think, you know, if you if you see what he did at Sevilla Granada, you, you can kind of blow up for full time and then bring us back to players remaining in this game. So I'm just going to sit down. <laughs> Maybe have like a prize where it lies in the centre circle with a buffet. <laughs> yeah, well, while I finished eating because I'm not, I'm not breaking my fast with just some bloody uh, energy gels. But in, in all seriousness, it's nice for football to actually respect things like religion and, and you know i remember like in recent years when they brought back having matches on good friday which wasn't a thing for a long time but also uh, i mean it, it works the other way as well i mean remember when el ghazi played yes. while fasting yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean the whole game it was the playoff finals yeah. run wasn't yeah, it? It, was, it was yeah, it was yeah, yeah. i mean so yeah so that because didn't he break fast but i think he, he was allowed to wasn't he because he bolted on an extra few days afterwards yeah that's right yeah and then i think um the leicester player i think it was for farner after the game that they had to pull him off after about an hour just to get him on the bench and get get some food down him yeah well i'm not surprised yeah right uh yeah i mean because the alternate was just to uh not pick them so it, it's a good gesture to facilitate them i think so point number three Bayern munich face are facing the German national team in a friendly with the entire income from the game going to Bayern as compensation for Hansi Flick's departure to be the national team manager yeah, from yeah. his current current uh, post at Bayern Munich. Is that is that a good negotiation, do you think? 
Well, it'll go towards paying for the uh, the new manager's compensation, won't it? It's not behind closed doors, though, is it? Because <laughs> well, that might back that might backfire. Yeah, we'll that see. Might backfire, there's yeah. no there's pay per view. There's no date set yet for it. So I mean, but it, it raises a lot of questions. I mean, Manuel Neuer, what's what side is he going to play on? And there's plenty of other ones that are not Bayern team that play a half for each team. Play a half for each team, but it, it just shows sort of who wears the trousers in the German league. I mean, can can you imagine something like that happening in the Premier League or anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, uh, England took Graham Taylor from Villa. That was the only time it uh, happened in Villa's context. Villa, Villa played uh, England in the in the warm ups to the nineteen eighty two World Cup in Spain. Beat them three two. Of course we did. Of course we did because we were the best team in the fucking in Europe in those the world days. universe. Uh, well, we weren't because we got beat by the yeah. by Penarol. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I do remember Smith saying that the only team we'd probably go to would be the England job so uh, make sure if that happens that means we'd have done very well we'd have definitely got into Europe and all that kind of shenanigans maybe lifted a cup for Smith to be the England manager but let's have a Villa England rematch uh, and let's beat them again yeah, I've not I've not seen that happen before for a, a manager. I've seen it happen with Villa a couple of times with players where we've either bought or sold a player. I remember when we bought Savo, we played Partizan Belgrade in a pre-season game. And I think when we sold Platt, when he went to Italy, they came back, didn't they, that winter when we played a completely pointless yeah, friendly against them to as be, well. Uh, it used to be all part of the, part of the, uh, the deal, really. If you yeah. if you sold a player or bought a player, it would, it would sometimes be in the deal as a sweetener. Yeah. Right. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. I think it's time to uh, discuss the Baggies game. Right. I mean, the the interesting thing about this game, as I said at the top of the show, uh, it's one of those very rare occasions, apparently, from the the stats uh, that we read that this is a game we've played where we're actually mathematically safe from relegation, and and apparently it's only the fifth Premier League game Villa have played since the twenty ten eleven season. Well, that has been the case. So bonkers, isn't it? I mean, it shows how far we fell. Yeah. And how slow and painful the decline was. We're still recovering from O'Neill walking out. Who would have thought it would have taken that long? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Maybe next it's not season. not really like his career's gone anywhere either. No, it just didn't work out for anybody, that means. No, mutually assured destruction, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, the context of going into this game, this was really... I mean, we said on the last pod that if West Brom got anything from that Leicester game, I think they would have been really fired up uh, in terms of continuing good form because, you know, they batted Chelsea 5-2, they beat Southampton 3-0, uh, a, result, a positive result against Leicester, and then they're just looking at Villa as a three points, aren't they? Without a doubt, because Villa are going into this game two wins in 10, real, really indifferent in uh, 2021. But uh, Leicester beat them. I think that was probably a good thing in t- for Villa anyway. And really... Last chance saloon for Big Samia to beat Villa, and we're in this position where if we stop them winning, I think they're down, and uh, that's what happened. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Were you surprised? Because uh, he did make some changes. He brought in old El Ghazi, but he's, he's called El Golzi when it comes to uh, West Brom. We play the Albion, yeah. So that was worth a punt just from uh, the track record you put him in, don't you? Yeah, and it, and it felt like a last chance saloon for Barkley, who started as well, which yeah. was a, kind of a bit of a head scratcher, but fair enough. I think a head scratcher on form, you know, maybe not on rep, yeah. you know, on yeah, yeah, previous, yeah, yeah. but uh, he actually played okay in the first half. To be fair, as, as Villa did in general, I actually thought it was a really good game of football in general. But the first half was really quite an entertaining forty-five minutes. I think Albion had a good go at Villa. Villa played some of the best football we've played this side of Christmas, to be honest. Yeah. And then we got the goal. Barkley, uh, maybe cheap, but I think, you know, they, they, those are given, aren't they? It's not as if he... Uh... Yeah, they're, they're, they're guys standing leg. There he goes over the leg. It's this contact and it's a penalty. It's a soft one, but it's a penalty. But as, you know, as we've said, uh, we need to get a bit more shithousery and, uh, you know, that is considered thumbs up to Barkley for uh, giving us a bit of shithousery yeah. there. He definitely, he <laughs> yeah. won the penalty. Yeah, which is something yeah. we've berated because <laughs> normally it's people winning penalties against us. So it's good to see it swing the other way. I mean, their one was very, very soft. I mean, I think both teams would feel a little bit you know, hard done by that. Their penalty especially was minimal contacts there was barely any contact at all but both to be fair to both you know Pereira and El Ghazi they both dispatched their penalties really well yeah it's, it's Pereira was probably the standout player of the game to be it's honest it's no coincidence that the two players that won the penalties are on loan from so-called big six teams I mean it must be drilled into them from early days DNA Phil yep. good deduction uh, Watson yeah that is elementary <laughs> yeah, elementary my dear Watson yeah, and of course, uh, El Ghazi is our uh, designated penalty taker. So good to have him on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought he played pretty well, actually. He had a good, you know, I know he can be very hit and miss, as a lot of our players have been recently, but I actually thought he, he actually showed a bit of intent, as did the rest of the team. You, you look at the, the game stats, and we actually got on the ball and tried to play. Yeah, Son was out of Villa Park, nice weather, El Ghazi, it's time to shine. Yeah, it was one of those games uh, that you would hope that because uh, I, I don't believe in this, uh, you know, derby day. When you look at a derby and there's no f- crowd there, it's like well, I'm sorry, but it's sterile. Most of those players don't even come from the area of, of the West Midlands, so it's not really a derby. It's, it's, it is quite funny watching the media try to because they've got to say something about the game, haven't they? Say, oh, but West Midlands derby, oh, it's going to be a ferocious affair, blah blah. blah. It's like, well, with no crowd, it just loses pretty much everything of that. West Midlands Derby tag. And the sun was out, so it was barely under the lights. Either. Yeah, so, uh, but at the same time, West Brom, because uh, they had to get something from this, it would potentially give Villa, a, you know, a, a chance to uh, spark into life. And, that, you know, the game was, you know, reasonably entertaining compared to what we've been watching recently. Villa had the, the tally of shots where they've, that they were doing around, uh, this is when Villa were getting frustrating around the Feb- February point, especially in games against Burnley and 
Brighton where they were creating chance after chance but just not taking them but it's it's better you know we, we, we're back there rather than not having any shots at all in the first half which we've managed to do if, you know a couple of times at least yeah I, I, th- I think you saw probably the, the pluses and the, the weaknesses of both sides of where they're at right now you know Albion have clearly improved a lot since that you know that game we played against them in December it was probably one of the most one-sided games of football certainly the most one-sided local derby you've probably ever seen whereas Albion had a really good go and they actually played some really good football but then defensively every time we got in the final third you thought we, we could make chances cause them problems out and we did to be frank I think I think we were actually as much as there was a, a bit of a fucking meltdown when we were 2-1 down and even at full time on Twitter there was a lot of nonsense being spouted but you look at some of the chances we had you know Watkins should bury that chance Davis has the one off the post and the, the neat turn when he comes on you know there's, there's, there's more than enough chances to, to have killed that game and they did as well they had a couple of big chances as well there was a certain period where they were having the better quality of uh, chances uh well, Martinez made a couple of cork, uh, yeah. really, really corking saves. West Brom had a chance to maybe kill the game off, and then they almost decided, right, well, we're going to hang on here, and just yeah. went deep. Yeah, and that was the worst mistake they did. The fact that they never chased or managed to get the third, and you could just see the... Similarly to when they got the early goal in the second half of the Mings Well, let's talk goal, about that now. Because first of all, it was Con- well, Conza and Mings... Uh, yeah, well, this is the this is the problem. Like you had said before, I mean, it, Smith wants to play out from the back, and until you you get up to the level where um, you're playing out from the back, you know, without thinking about it, um, the mistakes are going to happen. Konza brings a ball down that he yeah. probably should have been putting out. Uh, he he slips and the the balls in. I don't put a lot of blame on Mings because you have to try no. and block, block yeah. it. Yeah, it's just luck when it comes down. And Martinez is unlucky. Yeah, it's like Grealish against West Ham in that last game of the season. It's like you got to make that try to make that block. Yeah, uh, I mean Klopp says a deflected goal is a bad block, but you know it, it, that's harsh. <laughs> nah, I think that's just luck in it. But you know, I think West Brom would probably had enough chances to to have got themselves a second goal at this point. Yeah, they'd already hit the woodwork at the end of the first half, hadn't they? And they'd had a couple of good saves from Martinez. Martinez made another great save. And it's it's kind of just indicative of the way that it's been going for Villa recently. The the, the big error cost you a goal. And, you know, it's so early in the second half, you think Smith's probably only just got back to his perch in the stand. And he's thinking, for fuck's sake, oh, what what did I tell you about? Just ease yourself back into the second half or start well. Don't, don't give him a reason to get up ahead of steam. And you could just, and you could see our... Sort of belief and momentum just just wane for fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. Because uh, if if you compare it, let's say Fulham, I I was all in for making changes at bloody half time. I mean, I thought we need to yes, change something yeah. here and sort this out. This game half time, you're still like, well, let's see how this plays out because you don't know what kind of momentum switch that equaliser for West Brom was going to have. And but then you know that Ming situation, well, they scored. Let's not. You know, put it on Mings's shoulder. They scored straight away. Shitty look, and then you're thinking, right, let's see what happens. But I think you're pretty sure after ten minutes, like, hey, we have to do something here because this is not looking like it's going to swing our way yeah, anytime def- soon. Definitely, just needed to to switch it up. I mean, just something to the change the, the dynamic in some way. But saying that, Smith waited until the 78th minute, and against Fulham, you know, he'd he'd brought on all his subs by then. The first one was 62 minutes, then. Uh, uh, 67 so I mean I, I couldn't believe that he waited to the 78th minute because I'm thinking you got to bring Davis on in this kind of game and give him chance to uh, find his feet and you know that's what happened in that Fulham game he had 20 minutes plus to uh, get into it and he, and, he, and, he, and he did well he did really well again 
really well. But no. also, you know, just one final thing on the 78th minute mark, you're not giving your team much of a chance to actually turn it on its head like we did against Fulham and actually win the game. You, when you're making your subs at 78, you're looking well, you draw tops, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's, that's been one of the really big themes. It's probably the theme of certainly this podcast, but the last few weeks has been you see some of the talk, you know, that you get the nonsense side of the argument of anti, you know, Smith out, and that's just nonsense. But I think everybody is in agreement that one of Smith's big flaws at the moment is this belief he has in his in, in his the way his team plays but his inability to change things in game quickly and be really proactive and go like you know give it 60 minutes if it's not working at 60 minutes then you make the seismic shift because you saw when Davis came on and Ramsey as well to a certain extent you know Ramsey got his foot on the board and shifted the ball quickly and Villa's tempo increased and all of a sudden we were playing through them a bit more getting into little pockets Davis had the, um, a couple of big chances should probably bury the the one when he sort of flicks it it's a really nice turn and he kind of scuffs his shot and then there's the one off the post and Villa were huffing and puffing at this point yeah it comes as a sort of a relief when Davis gets the equalizer both for the context of the game and for his general Villa career. But you think, actually, if that game goes on another five minutes, Villa probably go on and win. You know, That's the what McGinn, I was thinking. There's the McGinn shot that bounces out and it's unlucky. You've got the Wesley half chance with the header. And, and, you know, Villa were getting up ahead of steam then. And again, and Albion had sort of, they had retreated to the 18-yard line and they looked like a bottom three side who were nervy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Target was bombing on. I thought Al Mohamedi was getting involved. Some of his deliveries weren't at his usual level. But you always think with him, he has a ball in there that he can, yeah, he will make something happen. Sh- you know, Barkley had the shot, didn't he, as well? It was deflected wide another day, that goes in. Because hypothetically speaking, if you brought the players on a good uh, 10 minutes or so earlier and you get that goal, then you can re- I think you, you can really, you know, and you bring in on Wesley to try to get the winner, never mind just, you know, you know, making a ceremonial substitution just to, uh, you know, let him feel part of the team again. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at that game and you wonder to yourself, what was so different about that game and the film game? What, there was no difference because you go down a goal um, early in the second half and then you bring on the subs to change it. I mean, it should have been, you know, copy and paste it should have been the same plan yeah and you're not playing against a team where you think we've we've just got to stay in the game and we might nick a chance you're playing against a team we're in the bottom three who are down there for a reason defensively and I thought Albion played really well with the ball but without the ball I thought they were there to be got at and we showed that yeah you've seen Watkins he was clean through should have done better he's got to bury that yeah. hasn't he he's got to go across if he goes across the keeper he scores there he could have probably scuffed it and it would have gone in yeah. those are the chances that if he wants to go up to that next level he's got to score saying he's not in the 26 <laughs> I think he'll I, th- I think he'll make the squad actually, but I don't think he'll play he won't get a look in but I think he'll go I think he needs some uh, I think he needs to score some goals like winners and get a few headlines you know how you know yeah I suppose he needs to do a bit of PR basically to get himself yeah. in he needs team. to lead the line mm-hmm. I mean there was that and then Elmo come out with that volley and I don't even know Elmo had a volley in his locker I mean, that-, <laughs> that was nearly the goal of the season yeah. wasn't it that would have been like his parting gift probably mm-hmm. yeah, that was like a, I don't know a couple of feet higher I think we're in and yeah I thought you might get a Alan Hutton parting gift goal there a worldie but yeah it's a shame for Elmo that didn't, that wasn't a couple of feet higher and then in the top corner then they would have a reason to uh, really celebrate there but yeah it, it was there's something I mean I, I've said this I've written about it this Greek chorus does this kind of democratic process we see you know Terry Shakespeare O'Reilly and Cutler sometimes all having a chat about what to do is is that democratic situation leading to uh well it's, it, it's getting rid of decisiveness uh, that's what I mean you want that decisive moment where he just looks at it and goes fuck this we're changing yeah. it this is not working because you know Mourinho used to be famous for that when he was good and he would bring on three players at half time and all kinds of crazy stuff and 
and Ferguson always used to, didn't he? The amount of times Man United subs had come off the bench and changed the game, usually against Villa. Usually against Villa, yeah, exactly. I mean, I always remember that time. Uh, I think Villa were winning 1-0. It was an FA Cup game. And on came, I think it was Keenan Van Nistelrooy. Yeah. And the whole ten started to boo because they knew they were going to lose, even though we're 1-0 up. It was was this like, when we used to play him in the third round yeah, of the FA every Cup season, every bloody year? Yeah. I always remember that. And it's like, and I, I was actually sitting in uh, the Trinity uh, with my dad, who's a United fan. And you just uh, there was a s- seismic shift from everybody being confident that we're going to win this because, you know, Ferguson rested a couple of players. And then when Keenan Van Nistelrooy came on, he just, he just feared the worst and the worst obviously happened. But yeah, sorry, we, we are digressing. But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, that's for something for me, that is uh, like a headline this season. Not decisiveness in terms of uh, substitutions, but in his defence and in mitigation, it's not as if we have distinct people on the bench that you know is going to change something completely they're not yeah they're not bankers because I don't think necessarily Keenan's one of these guys you look at him and go he will win you the game on his own he's got it in him to, to impact a game but he's not like an absolute banker it's not it? a big it's not a seismic shift is it it's not a big shift because no. it's not giving you a completely new look because you bring on the striker who until this game hadn't scored a Premier League goal so it's a bit of an issue so will that change now he has Wesley at his disposal Obviously, the thing about Wesley, it's you know, it's fantastic to see him back, and it is a long, long, long time since. Uh, I mean, you know, there wasn't even a pandemic; uh, nobody knew what COVID was the last time he played. A hell of a lot has happened uh, since. But I'm hoping we, you know, when we're talking about decisive subs, getting Wesley on the pitch 60 minute if he's starting from the bench, because we've got to have a good look at him. A, we've got to see if he is still good enough in terms of uh, does he need more time? Because that would mean let's just get another bloody striker in. Or if he uh, suddenly, you know, starts uh, setting the world alight and scoring a few goals and actually uh, looking like he's got it in his locker, then he becomes that signing that we need to make. And then people can roll out the cliche. Uh, he's like a new signing. Hopefully, I mean, there's, you know, there's the sentimental thing, isn't there? That you, you, you kind of everybody was longing for him to come off the bench and, and score the goal against the Albion just for, to, to make his comeback feel complete. But I think he's going to be used sparingly still till the end of the season. He'll get minutes, but it's going to be a it's still a long process, I think, to get him anywhere close to starting a game. But I think he needs to have minutes so we can he does. Smith can have yeah. a look at him to see where yeah. he fits into the plan now. Because, you know, he was the main striker and we were looking at, you know, playing with him. Then Watkins came along and it shifts the dynamic a bit. So in terms of, is he the man? What I'm saying is, is he the man to take us to the next level? Or do we have to get somebody else in to help Watkins to get us there? Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. If there's things left in this season to look forward to, because it has fizzled a bit and we have some tough games coming up. uh, It's just seeing Wesley play is one of the interesting things. But not for the now. It's it's more interesting for what's going to happen next season and onwards. It's kind of a like pre-season period now. Yeah, yeah. and it's the, it's the same as what people are saying in terms of you know the likes of your Louis Barrys, your Chuck Mueka, people like that. Will they get them in the squad? Will they get them involved? Will they get little bits of game time here and there? It's everyone's looking to next season now because we know that the reality is the only thing we're playing for is a top ten finish, but there's nothing else at stake. Yeah, and those guys, uh, they'll they'll be a focus on their youth team, youth cup exploits, and uh, they're not going to just throw them in willy nilly to play uh you know loads of uh senior games no plus there's the senior players who, who've needed game time yeah and you know we pay senior players senior wages to play yeah so we shall see right uh speaking of senior players who get paid senior wages <laughs> to not play yeah speaking of it's time for underrated or overrated 
here's somebody uh he actually played games for villa unlike somebody we had on actually is this the second goalkeeper on the trot Yep. Yeah. Oh my God! Well, should have we should have vetted that a bit more carefully. Anyway, it's uh, Mr. Scott Carson who uh, he played for the Albion. Uh, hell, uh, maybe three times the amount of times he played for the Villa. I mean, let's ask the question straight off the bat: Why did we sign Scott Carson? Well, we needed a number one. Yeah, simply because the options were Sorensen and Taylor were there, but uh, Martin O'Neill famously left any transfer business right to the end of the window, so he must have had all his eggs in the, the Craig Gordon basket. But No, no, you, you're missing somebody that had to play that's the season before. Oh, Corrali, how could I forget? How was, could you? How could I forget those tracks at bottoms? The fact that he was playing for Villa meant we need to get a bloody number one in ASP because this is ridiculous. Yeah, we can't have schools lashing any more volleys in against <laughs> us to be shown ad infinitum. What a goal that was, by the way. But yeah, the context was, as you said, we were chasing, uh, and it seemed to go over a couple of windows, was Craig Gordon. And uh, I mean, it almost hilarious where he ended up because you, it, we were told so many times by the press that he was, you know, he was signing for Villa. I mean, it was like super close, wasn't it? And then in the end, it was Sunderland was closer to uh, his family, Scott, whatever yeah, yeah. The, the excuse they normally roll and out. I think they bumped up a bit more money, didn't they? It was, it was, a, it was like a record transfer for a goalkeeper wasn't yeah. it at the time, I believe. Yeah. I think ultimately we probably dodged a bullet there. Well, Gordon's career never never sparked after that, did it, as soon as he left Scotland? No, lots of shoulder injuries and things like that. Not great for a keeper. So uh, we went knocking uh, to uh, Liverpool, uh, to get a keeper who hadn't really played for Liverpool, uh, and he was kind of behind Pepe Reina, and then they brought and Chris and Chris Kirkland, and they also uh, I think they brought Charles. Is it Ntangi? Yeah, and they would have had Dudek, I suppose, in that era as well. Yeah. So they had some bloody good goalkeepers. Hmm. Yeah, although we, you know, Benitez would talk him up and say, "Oh yeah, he's battling for you know battling with Reina to be uh, number one." But that's why he didn't want to get rid of him because he was still very young, wasn't he? Was he yeah, twenty-two yeah. or so. Yeah, and he, he wanted to loan him out to get, so he would get regular matches for England ahead of Euro 2008, but uh, more on that later. Because <laughs> he, uh, he had a season with Charlton on loan, so that's why we, uh, I mean, that was basically the season that justified him as a decent goalkeeper because he had a decent, uh, it's one of those where you're playing for uh, a cannon fodder team, so you, you, know, you get to really test yourself as a goalkeeper. So we liked the look of him from that, and uh, it kind of solved, we had a lot of average goalkeepers kicking around. And it, it was an upgrade ultimately. And uh, throughout that season, uh, it, it was it was all right. I mean, he, he made he had eleven clean sheets, had a decent enough uh, defence in front of him, including Martin Larson, who actually played some games for a change in the season. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Was a good season. That was you know it was a good side that year. Villa, you know, we'd had the year before where it was the transitional period under O'Neill, and then they kind of they cracked it that season, didn't they? Yeah, because we did have some problems with, uh, like in terms of that we needed a goalkeeper, right back just bring proper balance to that uh, the defensive unit really and uh, Carson definitely uh, was a step in the right direction then it, you know we, I think it got to the stage where we wouldn't wouldn't mind him permanently but his kind of England career put, started to put question marks on that not even says England career just just one game but um... <laughs> yeah one game kind of derailed his career didn't yeah. it really that Croatia game well that that rainy night with the Wally and the Broly yeah. well this was the infamous a European Championship qualifier wasn't it against uh, Croatia so was the first England 10 minutes, wasn't it? First 10 minutes. Yeah, he, he, the ball just slipped through his hand and flew in the net. Yeah. Um, Nico Cranchar had it, lost, lost the game 3 2, didn't they? Yeah. Nico Cranchar had a shot at him and it just it somehow went in. I mean, the, Steve McLaren, the England manager, the time he called him the Wally with the brother because he was standing with the umbrella because it was really pelting it down. 
you'd saw Campbell sliding, uh, doing a slide tackle that went like for on and on across the pitch. Went on for weeks. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> it's a real landmark game that one. Yeah, not not the last time Croatia beat us. <laughs> no, <laughs> and of course England didn't qualify for said European Championships that yeah. night. But and uh, I mean he's spoken about this, hasn't he? Uh, carrying the cross of that. Uh, the error. I mean, it did literally go straight through him, as if he evaporated yeah. in in front of him. So, uh, so Villa were. I think still Villa would have been keen on getting him in, but uh, we had an upgrade uh, lined up, did we not? Yeah, obviously Brad Friedel became available and um, left Blackburn. I think pretty much all we did really with Carson was uh, did Liverpool a favour, boosted up his stock price, and uh, the baggies came in and uh, took him as their uh, number one. Yeah. I mean, ironically, uh, at the end of his time, uh, not when they're in the end of the time at the baggies, when Roy Hodgson was in, he, Roy Hodgson was actually looking to bring Friedel in to re- to replace uh, Carson because when we got rid of Friedel, we thought that's it, he's retiring now. But he went on to play for Spurs for about ten seasons. <laughs> he's probably still playing somewhere <laughs> if he did, but no. And like all, uh, you know, like all great journeyman goalkeepers, he ended up at Manchester City. Yeah, which this is the, where it gets turns a bit bizarre via, via Turkey. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he, he tried to give away a Champions League winners' medal. Yeah, he won that at Liverpool, didn't he? When he, I think he played one game in the group phase, and Chris Kirkland had had also played games through that. And run. We're talking about the miracle in uh, Istanbul where they came back yeah. from three 0 and yeah, he was trying to give his uh, winners' medal to uh, Chris Kirkland. Who refused? I think probably because it had the name Scott Carson on it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he then he then he found himself over in Turkey dodging Swiss Army knives. And what do you mean? Well, he fact, well he was playing for Bursaspor. Yeah, is it Bursaspor? He's playing for Bursaspor, and uh, he, and he passed comment like late in later years that there was there were games. For example, there was one where only women and children were allowed in the ground due to the unrest before the previous match. And then one game, he looks up and realizes that he's there's a Swiss Army knife in the middle of his penalty area, um, <laughs> which is just bizarre, only in Turkey. And then, yeah, eventually came back to England and I think he went to Derby, didn't he? And then ended up somehow managing to get himself a, a stellar side like Manchester City, but he was, you know, third choice goalkeeper at the time. It's claimed to pay uh, half a million pounds twice a year to cover his wages and, and loan fee. But there's they haven't signed him permanently, have they? No, not yet. Bet, bet Derby, bet Derby wish they'd have played him in the playoff final against us and then they might not have needed to all this money. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. But uh, Pep Guardiola likes him, does he not? He does. He does. Yeah. He, Pep said he's the one keeper who is important for us, never mind Ederson or anybody else, the one keeper that's important for us is Scott Carson. He's like our captain behind the scenes, like Fernandinho. He's not noticed by the papers. He's not noticed on the field because he's a third choice keeper, but in the locker room, he's like another captain. It's like Casper the Invisible Ghost, isn't he? <laughs> Not notice on the field, not notice in the papers. Great gig if you can get it though, isn't it? Yeah, no. I mean, I think Manchester City, they just thought, oh, we'll never replace Stuart Taylor as our third goalkeeper, (laughs) (laughs) who's our invisible captain. But they they thought, oh, no, this guy, he's played for Villa. Who's next? It will be... Jed Steer. Yeah, Jed Steer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jed Steer's got a big career at Manchester City coming up and he doesn't know it yet. Going to have a Champions League winner's <laughs> medal in no time. <laughs> uh, underrated or overrated, Mr. Scott Carson? I think I'd go uh, underrated. For yeah. yeah, for the year he was at Villa, he was, he was good at Villa, wasn't he? Yeah, I'd, I'd go under. Yeah, I mean, the, I think as England sort of debut came, came too soon for him, another few years he may have been able to handle the pressure and, and the ball. 
Yeah, yeah I think, I mean, he, he was 22 when he played for Villas. You know, you always talk about goalkeepers uh, coming into the ascendancy when they're in their, in their early 30s. So, uh, you know, it was a good decade off that. And uh, I thought he was pretty decent. If they signed him permanently, I don't think you would have grumbled much because you're thinking, well, you've, you've just seen a 22-year-old keeper have a decent season and surely he can, uh, you know, only get better. I don't know. Ultimately, how do you look at him uh if you marked him at 10 what for Villa or well, just, just generally, generally I, I don't think he really reached nah you're looking at like he's just like a 6 out of 10 he's a very average Premier League goalkeeper when you look back at his whole yeah. career I think he was very fortunate he was playing in a really good Villa team at that point yeah well there is that because I mean the most appearances he made were for Derby and that's like uh, that's a good chunk of time after his Villa days I mean we're talking about uh, seven years after 2015 I, th- I think in reality I, I think that was about his level well in hindsight he is in Man City's Champions League squad so maybe there's moments <laughs> yet to come ah yes <laughs> yeah sorry this is all uh, superfluous because his career's really starting from this day forward <laughs> right so we're going is that is that all uh, underrated yeah I think that's, Under- I think that's resounding yeah. isn't it yeah. oh, he was underrated when he was in his early 20s we'll say that Right, thank you very much for listening as usual and a special thanks to the My Old Man Said patrons who make everything possible. Uh, if you want to become a My Old Man Said patron, please do go to uh, myoldmansaid.com and uh, click on the patron link in the menu, whether it's mobile or uh, desktop, and uh, click on it to get more details there. You get access to Match Club, which is our uh, match day meetup virtually and group therapy session and group therapy session and you'll be needing a lot more of that uh, as the season <laughs> fizzles out <laughs> hmm. and also you get access to extra podcasts as well including the my old mandalorian said which is nothing to do with football our secret uh, knowledge is uh, <laughs> displayed for all to digest in that we also have shows like the mad few which is a monthly number and also i'll be doing uh, off the record uh, as well thank you very much uh, to uh, matthew long for this week uh, upgrading and also to uh, craig wright for becoming a, an annual member and also for rob mcclory for signing up as an annual member as well if you're an annual member you save 15 percent, which is two months free so please do go to myomansaid.com and uh, check it out for further details. And make sure you follow the podcast on uh, Spotify or Apple or wherever else you uh, listen to. It's free to follow. so uh, And it helps the algorithm. That's what they say, isn't it? Apparently so. Apparently, Apparently so. so. And uh, helps put this podcast in front of other people who may have sophisticated tastes like your good self. Right, any parting words before we disappear off into the ether and rematerialize for the Everton game? It's nothing from me. Nope, nothing. No words of wisdom to get us through. <laughs> You're left to your own devices, listeners. I'm sorry. Just just enjoy the youth team's oh. cut run. They'll, they'll oh, the I thought he was going to say just enjoy the process. I would have uh, That would have been his last podcast. Yep, teasing you no, I, was just, I was just teasing you then. <laughs> right, okay. As I like to say, on that note... It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.